0: As we start a new year this Sunday, as far as Sundays are concerned, I want to share with you some things that I pray God will use in your life and in my life as we start this new year and as we finish this new year as well. Gary Ingram wrote a book called Hearts of Iron, feet of clay. And this author refers to something called creeping compromise. He equates it to the tsunami that happened in 2004, you will remember in Thailand, and also they had another one just a couple of weeks ago. But the author goes on to say, and I quote, there are times that forces arise that have almost insurmountable power. We live in a time when massive forces are pounding our culture, forces that seem almost irresistible. He goes on to talk about secular humanism and how that it has taken on a pluralistic atmosphere and a hold of the nation that we live in, and that it has removed all spiritual and religious beliefs from the public view. But here's what he said that I want you to understand, and I want you to get and I'm going to quote it. He says, counter-secularization is at least as important phenomenon in the contemporary world as secularization. Now listen carefully to what this man has to say. In recent years, our culture has witnessed huge interest in spirituality and new patterns of religiosity. But this does not represent the turning to biblical Christianity. The new spirituality is inevitably allied with other current fashions such as pluralism, Accepting all religions as equally. Relativism, denying any absolute moral, spiritual, philosophical truth. Synchronism, attempt to unify all worshippers. Or consumerism, which is defined as the individual at the center of the universe. And I will serve as long as my needs are being served and met. And what I want you to understand from all of that is, like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 15, we live in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. That's where we are at the beginning of this new year. It's painfully true that opinion polls show that there is no, listen to me, No indistinguishable difference between people who call themselves believers and those who are unbelievers. Can you believe that? That's where we live. No difference in our values, no difference in our behavior. And the outcome of all of this is, usually it never starts with one single compromise or failure. Usually, it's accumulation, creeping, creeping compromise that has come. But the final failure that we find ourselves in today has revealed that pattern of creeping compromise. Increasingly, we find ourselves with ungodly values. And we as believers feel helpless. God has something to say about this. and My prayer is that this morning, you and I will see it. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We're going to be looking at some passages there, and then we're going back to Exodus. But I want to tell you our problem is, we've been trying to bring down a bunch of cobwebs And we're not killing very many spiders, friend. And we keep getting further and further behind. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 24, I'm going to ask you to stand and follow along as I read aloud from God's Word. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 24 through verse 29. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, but being afraid, not being afraid rather, of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Verse 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Three things. Verse 27, you see a decision. Verse 28, you see a deliverance. And in verse 29, a demonstration of what happens when you don't compromise. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that you would anoint your word. I pray that the sword of the Spirit would be in the lives of every believer with power and strength enable us to effectively face and stand against the schemer, the devil. Almighty Father, I personally pray. I desire that my prayers be more fruitful. So Father, I plead that you help me continually to abide in Jesus Christ and to strive toward having His Word Abide in me. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. There was some compromises that were put to Moses by the Pharaoh. And I want you to see what happens and how he stood against these. First of all, there was a decision Regarding the practice of sin. That's what we saw in verse 27. By faith, Moses, he left Egypt. He left Egypt. Now let me share with you something that will set this stage. In the symbolism of God's word, you need to understand, and I know you've probably heard this before, that Egypt... And Pharaoh have strong symbolisms in the Bible. Pharaoh is a symbol of Satan. And Egypt is a symbol of sin. So now you understand when the Bible says that by faith, Moses turned his back on it. Moses is leaving sin and he's forsaking it and he's for not allowing Satan to have any any contest anything in his life. Turn with me now back to the Old Testament where all this happened, to the eighth chapter of Exodus, and I want us to see what God's telling us in these passages of Scripture about some really interesting and clever compromises that Moses sees through. I want you to see those. First of all, there was a compromise concerning the decision regarding salvation. Look in Exodus 8, verse 25. God's word says Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. Now, Pharaoh means go and sacrifice right here in Egypt you'll remember that God brought ten plagues upon the nation Israel. And this happens when the fourth plague, which was a swarm of flies, had gone through the land. In fact, God's Word says that it laid the land ruined. That's how severe they were. Each time the pressure is coming on Pharaoh, and each time Moses and Aaron goes before him, He has said no. And this time, the fourth plague has come. And Pharaoh says to those two, he says, you don't have to leave Egypt. If you want to worship your God, there's no need breaking with Egypt. You can stay right here. You can serve Him right here. You don't have to move out. If you want to worship your God... You go ahead, but Moses, you do it right here. Do you understand what he's saying? Satan's going to say that to some of you this morning. He's going to say that in your ear. He's going to give you that compromise. Let me tell you something. He's going to say you can be respectable. You don't have to leave it. You can just sort of tack it on. It looks respectable for you to be going to church and you being there. Just add a little religion. But you don't have to dre- to change. Just dress up Egypt where you are right now. Listen. Satan doesn't mind you being religious as long as you're lost. Doesn't bother him at all. He, that, he, that doesn't do anything. In fact, he sort of likes that. Let me tell you something. He don't mind your reasoning as long as you don't have repentance. He don't care about your education. He just doesn't want any regeneration in your life. You can tack on some culture. That's all right, but he don't want Calvary in that anywhere. That's what he does. That's how he works. Just a little religion will be all right. Listen, he'd really rather send you to hell from a pew in this church than from the worst gutter in this city. It makes him look more respectable. Respectable. That's what Pharaoh is saying to these. It's a decision regarding salvation. He says, no, we're not going to do that. Moses said, that's not what we're going to do. He comes at Moses and Aaron again with another tactic. It's a decision regarding separation. Look at verse 28. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. You don't have to do it right here in the city. In the wilderness. Only you must not go far away. You must not go far away. Now God had not called them to the wilderness. He had called them to the promised land. He didn't call them to sand and rattlesnakes and cactus and everything else. He called them to the promised land. He told him that there was a place of milk and honey and pomegranates and green and flowing streams. That's where he had called them to. The Pharaoh says, go on, but don't go very far. Don't go very far at all. Listen, the devil, if he cannot keep you from going with God, he'll try to keep you from going all the way with God. Do you know that? That's the way he works. That's what he's going to do. He will try to give you that compromise. He wants you to be a wilderness Christian. That's His compromise. You're saved, but you just settled in the wilderness. God wants you to be different. Exodus 11 verse 7 says, Know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. He makes a distinction between you and the world as His child. We're not called to be the same. We're called to be different. It's so sad when the world cannot tell the difference. Moses says, we must go. We're not going to take a compromise concerning salvation or separation. But Pharaoh's not through. He's going to offer another compromise. That's a compromise concerning the soul winning. Look at verse Exodus 10, verse 8 9. If you'll turn over to that. And he, Pharaoh... Now remember, this is Satan, symbolizing, symbolizing Satan. And he, Pharaoh, said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses says, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters. Pharaoh says, you men go if you want to worship, but don't take your families out there. He even had the gall to say it's not safe out there for them. Don't you take them out there. Don't take your family. Satan don't care about your family, friend. You need to know that. He doesn't care about it at all. Moses says, we're going. We're going all the way, and all of us are going. We're not going to do what you're asking us to do, Pharaoh. What are you going to do? When Satan speaks to you, Satan hates family religion. I know people who are sacrificing their children, believers, sacrificing their children at the altar of popularity and prestige. That's happening even today. God's Word teaches a family together serving God. That's what he's saying. Doing it together. How could anyone who's going to heaven ever consider leaving their loved ones behind? I want to tell you, friend, I could not rest if my wife and my two sons and my daughter-in-loves and my grandchildren, if they were not saved and ready to go. How could I do that? How could anybody do that with your children? How could you? How could you be content or complacent serving God, knowing that you've got a child, a loved one that's not saved? I could not. Moses said, we're not leaving our families behind. We're not leaving our families behind. Goodness, Acts 16, 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. You know that passage. Noah was instructed to take all of his family into the ark. You know Joshua 24, 15, and if it is is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as far as me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. That's what he's saying. Catherine Booth, husband, started years ago, Salvation Army. You know what this woman prayed? It's been recorded. She said, God, I will not stand before you without all my children. And she had 18. Every one of them came to know Jesus and served Him. Oh, that ought to be our prayer. That ought to be a prayer. Boy tempted, Pharaoh's tempting Moses and Aaron with a salvation and a separation and a soul winning compromise and he'll tempt you if he gets a chance. Let me give you another temptation and it's a temptation regarding stewardship. Listen carefully. Look at verses 24 and 26 of Exodus 10. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord with your little ones. Also, they can go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burn offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. Do you hear what that man's saying? We're to serve God with all the substance He gives us. With everything that it gives us that plate that's going to be passed in a few moments in this service is a reminder that the substance that God has given me belongs to him every bit of it my wallet my bank account my 401k my retirement everything all those houses and cars and all those things that you and I cling to belongs to God have you compromised what God has given you By not giving it back? You know what Moses is saying? I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Not a hide nor a hair or a hoof or a horn we're going to leave behind. We're going to take it all out of this. Moses said to Pharaoh, in essence, we're going, we're all going, we're we're going all the way, and we're going with all we have. He wasn't taking any compromises. That's a decision regarding the practice of sin. And when you make that decision, when I make that decision and we don't take those compromises, then I want you to know when you do this, you're going to see a deliverance from the pollution of sin. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 28. By faith... He, this is Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You remember that story? It's not enough for Moses to decide that he's just going to leave Egypt. If he had done that, that'd been just like turning over a new leaf. It's worthless. Nothing good comes from that. He needed a dynamic to deliver him from the pollution of sin, which you and I need just as well. God's word says in Acts 20, verse 21, listen to this carefully, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in his shed blood is what gives us deliverance from the pollution of sin. We haven't got that yet. We're still compromising, it seems, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened, child of God. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Just as Moses and God's people in Exodus had a Passover lamb, if you're a child of God, you've had a Passover lamb in your life as well. When God called His children out of Egypt, He taught them, you remember, to slay a lamb. They were to kill that lamb. And that lamb was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that was yet to come. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us that by faith, our faith, and our keeping of the feast, without compromise, we too can have what Moses had. Let me tell you about that lamb. That lamb was a special lamb, friend. You need to know that. It had to be a male. Exodus 12, verse 5 says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. It had to be a pure, spotless lamb. It was kept up for three days, and in those three days, they were examining those lambs to make sure they had no blemish on them whatsoever, even looking under the eyelids. They wanted that lamb to be that lamb to be without blemish. Let me tell you something friend, the New Testament lamb was without blemish. Let me tell you what went on in his life. Do you know that a third of the gospels are around the last days, the last week of Jesus Christ before his death on Calvary? You know why? They were examining the lamb. They were examining the lamb. And he said, which of you convicts me of sin? And like Pilate, they all had to say, I find no fault in this hymn. I don't find any fault in him at all. He had no compromise with sin. And how we live out our part of the feast is how he delivers us from the pollution of sin. He's our example. It had to be a special lamb. It had to be a slain lamb. Verse 6 of Exodus 12 says, And you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight or in the evening. It was a special time for the Lamb of God to be sacrificed. Paul tells us that. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son to redeem those who were under the law. A special time. Jesus said in We read it in John 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Abraham in the Old Testament, hundreds of years earlier, would see my day. You remember, Abraham took his son Isaac out to sacrifice him. And Isaac says to Abraham there on Mount Moriah, But where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" It's interesting. You see this in the King James Version better than any other version. God's Word says, And Abraham said, My son, God, will supply, will supply himself a lamb. Himself a lamb. God supplies himself the lamb. That's what he was. When the Lamb of God was on Calvary, the Levites were splitting the throats of those sacrificial lambs when Jesus bowed his head and cried out, "It is finished." Let me tell you some things that were finished. They said, "Mr. Levi, you can go home. We don't need you anymore." Little Bethlehem lambs, you can rejoice. You don't have to be sacrificed anymore. You don't have to be. The symbol is no longer needed. Reality is here. The lamb has been slain. It was a special lamb. He was a slain lamb. Let me tell you something else, friend. He was a saving lamb. Saving lamb. Verses seventeen in chapter twelve of Exodus, or verse seven rather. When they shall take, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they ate it. And then verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. They took that blood and with a breed of hyssop, they stuck it down in the blood and they just painted the sides and over the top. And so if you went out, you had to go under the blood. You had to go through the blood. Friend, this morning when you leave here, you will leave through the blood or you'll leave tramping over the blood. But that's the way you'll go. That blood makes the difference. That's what he's saying. God's Word in 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin, from all sin in our life. As those in Exodus 12, you and I must trust the Word of God and the work of God. Let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus Christ makes me safe, but the Word of God makes me sure. Makes me sure. I know I have that power in my life. Salvation does not come from learning lessons from the life of Christ, but by receiving life from the death of Christ. That's the way it is. They knew that. No compromise Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. A special lamb, a slain lamb, a saving lamb, at last a shared lamb. Listen carefully. Can you imagine the aroma coming out of Egypt, especially right that area where they were, when a quarter of a million lambs were being roasted? You ever smelt a lamb when it was roasted? We're not talking about that. But Exodus 12 verse 8 tells us, They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted in the fire. What was happening? Right then, a group of slaves were becoming a nation. A bunch of sinners were becoming followers of Christ. Do you see what was happening right there? They were fellowshipping one with another over the Lamb. Not only does the Lamb save us, but He strengthens us. He gives Himself to us. He energizes us as He lives within us. That's what it's all about. Colossians 1, 27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory in you. He's in us. That word hope means guarantee, friend. Guarantee. There was a decision concerning the practice of sin. There was a deliverance regarding the pollution of sin. At last, I want you to see the demonstration regarding the victory over sin. This is what we've got to have for the year we're facing and the nation we live in. Hebrews 11 verse 29 says, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The sea was before God's children. Pharaoh's army was behind them, coming as fast as they could. You're talking about being between the devil and the deep blue sea. That's exactly where they were. They were coming at them with all they had. And I want to tell you something. That's the picture of sin in our life, friend. It catches us right in the middle. And if you don't learn to feed off a lamb, and if you don't learn to say no to the compromises, you're going to get run over. You're going to get run over. Exodus 14, verse 18. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Listen, you know what God told me? God has said to me, Kent, Madisonville will know that I'm Jehovah God when Grapevine Baptist Church has victory over sin in every one of us. Do you know that, friend? They're going to look and they're going to know there's something different. That is the presence of the Godhead living in us. Goodness. Goodness. The Bible says that all the children got through. You remember the water walled up on both sides. The people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The water being walled walled up to them on their right and on their left. What a demonstration of victory, friend. What a demonstration of victory. And all of this is by faith. All of this is by faith. Moving out on God's promises. It's what God calls us to do. Listen, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of stamina, and a lot of power that you don't have to live like God wants you to live. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. Friend, we don't have it, but God does. That's what I want you to see in all of this. God has power the power to live this way, He has the power to do. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him, that strengthens me. He has the power to get through. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. But they who wait on the Lord, they who do not compromise, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk and they shall not faint. That's what he tells us. What he tells us. Wait on the Lord. Don't compromise. And he also has power to change you. Do you know that? Power to change me. Philippians 2.13 from the Phillips translation. For it is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. That's the God that we're talking about. Friend, I want to tell you something. Sometimes we come in this place and we like to be here and we get that joy of listening to the music and we don't like to meet our friends and we sit in here, but in our life we have said, God, I like the shadows of what I see, but I don't want the reality. I want to walk out of here, and I want to still be able to do some compromising. I want to live the way that I want to live. And friend, I want to tell you, to live in a shadow instead of a reality is fatal. Fatal. I close with this story. Some years ago, the director of Men's Brotherhood, when Southern Baptists had a brotherhood, was a man by the name of Glenn McCullough. He lived in Memphis. And Glenn McCullough tells this story, a very interesting story. He says that he had taken his family, his wife and his children, to the Smithsonian. And they happened to be in this room where the lifelike wax figures of all the first ladies wearing their inaugural gowns. That room is where they were. Maybe you've been there. And he said he had his children with him. I think there was four, if I remember right. And he was moving from one wax figure of the first lady to another. And he came to the wax figure of the wife, or the wife, Lady Bird Johnson of President Johnson. And he started telling his children the story about that time an event when her husband was president. And he says, as I was studying or telling them about this wax figure and those events, I looked out of the corner of my eye and I saw this lady looking at me. And he said, I was still telling and said, she moved a little closer. And he said, I think she looks just like Lady Bird Johnson. And she moved a little closer and it was Lady Bird Johnson. She had been listening to what he was saying. Friend, I thought about that. He listened to what I preached this morning. He listened to what you've been thinking. And so she came up there. And she began to tell his family about those events. And while she was telling him about those events, there was a man taking picture of the wa- pictures of the wax figures of these first ladies. And so he come to the wax figure of Lady Bird Johnson, and he was trying to get in the right direction with his camera so he could get the picture he wanted, but they were sort of standing around it. And finally, he looked at Lady Bird Johnson, and he said, Lady, would you move out of the way? I'm wanting to get a picture of Lady Bird Johnson. (laughs) And you know what Glenn McCullough said? He said she was so gracious. She didn't say a word. She just moved over to the side. Friend, let me tell you something Most of us, most of us want to live in the shadows of God's grace. We still want to compromise. And I want you to know, my friend, as long as you and I are compromising in any area of our life, we will not have victory over sin, and our nation will continue to sink until it can go no further and it exists no longer. I want you to know that. I want you to know that. And this morning, I'm talking to some of you that Satan has confronted you already with a compromise about salvation. And he said, You're a good person. You don't have to worry about being saved. Your mother, your father, your family, they're good people. But I want to tell you something, my friend until you come to that place and you make no compromise with Satan concerning sin and his power in your life and you receive Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you will not have that peace and purpose and that place in eternity with him. I want you to know that. Quit living over in the shadows and looking at people and enjoying this with them and get in the reality. I want to tell you the shadows are nothing like the reality. Nothing like the reality. This morning as we have this invitation, I pray that God would speak to those that have never received Him as Lord and Savior, who feel comfortable moving in this place and being a part of all that's going on, but you know down deep inside something isn't right. Something isn't right in your life. And I would ask you this morning, would you say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ? God, I am a sinner. But like Moses, I will not compromise with the devil or with sin anymore. Would you do that? And now, for God's children that are wilderness saints, you've gone a long way, but you still want to hold on to compromises. Friend, this morning, do you realize it's killing you? It's killing your influence? It's killing our nation. Would you be willing to stand up and be counted and say, God, you can count on me? Would you do that? Would you be willing to make that public even this morning? Father, this morning as we have this invitation, I pray your Holy Spirit to be unhindered. There would be no grieving of the Spirit. And that there would be freedom and boldness to say no to all the compromises of Satan and yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, may you have freedom in this place. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we have our invitation? Would you say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ?